Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing Victoria Grace Elliott. She is the writer and artist of Yummy, A History of Desserts. It is an original graphic novel for kids. This is a 240-page book that is published by Penguin Random House and is out in stores right now. Victoria, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Jason. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Okay, now, before we start the interview, I explained this to Victoria. So a couple of things. Um, um, right now, I'm interviewing Victoria as Hawaii is going through one of their west, worst winter weather storms. Right now, it's like there's, gonna, there's heavy rains that's heading to Oahu. Um, if in case you guys hear a huge thunder boom or my, my iPhone weather alert alarm goes off, it's part of live podcasting. <laughs> also, too, I also want, and because since I'm a big nerd, today is December 6th. What is so significant about today? Because 30 years ago today, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, um, premiered. So, and it was the final movie that closed the franchise at the start of the original cast. So I just want to throw that out there. All right. So sorry, guys. So let me get back on track. So uh, just a little bit. Um, so for, um, I did a little bit of research on Victoria's um, comic book history. Um, the, um, I only came across her, um, her self-published webcomic called Balderdash or A Tale of Two Witches. Is that correct, Victoria? Yeah, that was my longest running work that I did before I worked on Yummy. I did do like some stuff uh, for my college newspaper. I did some some comic strips that were like three times a week and then weekly after that. But pretty much like the main thing that I've done was Balderdash. Oh, okay. And hey, I'm just going to ask for our listeners, can you, can you tell us what Balderdash is about? Yeah, so Balderdash, um, it ran, I think, from around 2011 or 2012 to I think like 2017 mm-hmm. uh, when I started transitioning into my graphic novel, uh, like trying to pursue getting a graphic novel made. But what it was is it was about these two witches who sort of meet in the small town. One is a witch who wants to learn how to bake without magic. And the other is a witch who wants to learn more. She's used to studying magic in college and she wants to leave university and actually learn magic on her own. So she's trying to branch out and discover the real mysteries of magic. But they meet each other uh, in the small town and it's basically just like sort of coming of age, but not for like young teens, but more for like uh, women in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I couldn't get through the whole story, but uh, I did have like a, a nice arc planned, but it's still really good as is. And I think the, the characters have a lot of charm and love to them. Okay. And I'm, I'm just asked, I, this is an off the cuff question. If listeners are interested, were, is it still available? Yeah, I try to keep it up because I still really love it. So it's at balderdashcomic.com. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Now, before we begin the interview, you know, um, I want to give a big shout out to Hannah of Superfan Promotions. You know, um, Hannah, thank you very much for sending me an advanced copy of Yummy, a, a History of Desserts. You know, thank you very much, Hannah. And also, thank you very much for setting up this interview. 
Um, Victoria, I'm going to ask, do you want to add anything to that? Oh, yeah, just absolutely. Thank you to Hannah and David at Superfan. They've been awesome and they've been helping me so much. Oh, that, no, that's good. And, and I love working with them. I really do. So, okay. Now, where can listeners follow you on social media? So on uh, both Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Friday afternoon. And then I do actually have a TikTok for some yummy stuff at Yummy History. It's just behind the scenes, like art process, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my website itself is vgeportfolio.com. It's pretty sparse. It's just my art, but yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to start. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, um, which is why I, I talk quite a bit about the South and the Deep South in this book. And that's kind of why it's because that's the, the, the heritage that I have. I grew up in Birmingham and my dad's from the South. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. And then I'm going to ask, what was or were your first comics or even manga that you read? So this is like, I feel like a lot of people my age, I started off with a lot of Sunday funnies. So stuff like Garfield and things like that. But actually, like, the first manga I ever had was a random volume of Dragon Ball by Akira Toriyama that I found at like a Brookstone or like, I can't remember what the name is that. Uh, bookstore was but it was a one of those and then my dad in the 70s had collected a lot of the classic Conan Barbarian and I grew up actually reading those with him so I actually texted him and I was like who was my favorite Conan artist like I don't remember and he was like Frank Frazetta like you loved Frank Frazetta's art This is like me at like 10 or 12 reading like my dad's old Conan the Barbarians because it was the comics that we had in the house. But yeah, I do remember like things they were really cool. I think my favorite interior artist. Oh, I was doing the research last night. Uh, Steve, not Steve Buscema. Um, what is his name? But yeah, there was like, I think it was Buscema was oh, his God, last name. But I think he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Buscema. Sorry, I was getting him confused with Steve Buscemi. That's no, no. how I remember that last name. <laughs> but yeah, I think he was my favorite artist uh, of the Conan books because he, he had like kind of a stockier Conan. Yes, that and then that's right because it's more, it would, John had that, that artwork of, yeah, he was a stocky character. He was fit, but not, he wasn't, he wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger, overly muscular guy. That's yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay so um and then i'm gonna ask did you read any besides conan comics did you read it or dragon ball z did you read anything else i'm just asking oh yeah yeah no totally i read because i was really into you know at, that was at the time that toonami was starting to air like sailor moon oh, yes. and so i was able to track down like a few sailor moon volumes but i actually didn't have that much of that as a kid but like there was one series I collected a lot of called Dragon Knight from Tokyo Pop. Uh, the artist is Minako Okami, I believe. But it was is very like Dungeons and Dragonsy kind of like three different Dragon Knights trying to retrieve a demon lord's head. I think was the initial plot. Oh, okay, all right. And and um, I I'm I'm just again off the cuff. I'm just asking. Do you have time today? Are you reading any manga or any comics today? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the comics I've been going through a lot of is my friend gifted me all of 
What Did You Eat Yesterday by Fumi Yoshinaga, I believe. Yes, I... And that one's really lovely. That was like, you know, they're talking about food, so it's right up my alley. And uh-huh. then I really love the webtoon. I've been reading two webtoons by Sunki lately, and they're just on the webtoon app, but I've been reading through all of Cheese in the Trap. And I've been reading her new series, uh, After School Lessons for Unripe Apples. But both of those I really, really love. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. So, all right. I'm going to, I'm just, uh, Drew, from the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit submitted this question. So, what was, do you remember your first LCS, your local yes. comic? Okay. I do. Uh, there was this place, I cannot remember. It must have been introduced to me through my friend's older brother. Mm-hmm. But it was called, I believe, Empire Comics. It changed its name somewhere into Legion Comics, I believe. So I I might interchangeably refer to it as either. But that was my first one. It was definitely not like 10-year-old girl friendly. But I think looking, yeah, you know, like I think that's true of a lot of comic book stories. But looking back, I'm like, I think I kind of liked it. Because it was like kind of, they had a lot of manga. So they were always really good about that. Mm -hmm. It was just these like huge cells. Like, I don't think they were really set up to be a like retail space. It looked from what I remember from in my memory, it was a bunch of like shelves you would have at your house mm-hmm. and like extraneous stacks of just like comics on comics on comics. So it was sort of, it felt like you were like digging or like going into like a cave and spelunking for comics. <laughs> they had so much manga and it was so cool. And uh-huh. like, it had this humid comic book store smell. Like, I don't know if you've ever smelled it, but it's like a very particular paper smell. Yes. Yeah, it's great. And and I one of the fun things that they had, I mean, fun, little weird, but I think it made it a little bit more of an adventure for me, is that they had a side store. It was in this strip mall that, like, not a lot of stuff was in. I think it was pretty much just them, but they, for a while, rented the place next door, mm-hmm. and that's where they had all the anime and manga. So that's where they ha- oh. would have, like, the Sailor Moon stuff or, like, yeah. some heart CDs and things like that. So I'd actually have to go to the manager, like, at a full 12 years old and be like, can you unlock this store next door? Like, I want to look at anime. <laughs> and so, like, he'd unlock it for me, and me and my mom would go over there, and I'd just, like, look at everything and essentially be the only person in there. It was, like, the weirdest vibe, but I really did love it. But that's pretty cool that in some senses, like, it, you know, besides your mom, it's almost like you had the whole, that whole store, that whole section by yourself. Yeah, that is what it felt like. I think that's why I liked it. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, so how did you start your journey into creating comics? Well, hmm, I was working on comics I think I was more like writing stories and stuff from like a really, really young age. I just played a lot of pretend with my friends on like the playground. And I think that was sort of like this seed that eventually grew into this because mm-hmm. I would like transcribe all our, our play pretend stories. And like, as we started role playing in video games, I remember I started like transcribing those. And for one game in particular, I started drawing comics of it. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of, I think, when I first actually began drawing comics. And yeah, from there, it was just like, I think I knew, I, I just loved comics all over. You know, we had the comics, like I mentioned, in the House of the Conan comics. Yes. And I also really loved manga. And so 
I just decided pretty early on that I wanted to be a comic artist. And like, I knew it kind of wasn't feasible. Like it's a very hard like job to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also the kind of thing where it's like, you can always do comics as a hobby to a certain degree. So I think I would just sort of like resolutely was like, I'm going to do this whether or not it's full-time or part-time or just mm-hmm. as a hobby, it doesn't matter. Yes. And yeah, in college I was studying something else entirely, but I joined the Daily Text and Comics staff. And that's when I was sort of, first doing it in a professional capacity. And then after that, I did Balderdash. And then, you know, as time went on, now I'm here. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to say, this is the perfect segue to Yummy, A History of Desserts. Now, I, you know, as I mentioned before that, you know, I read the advanced uh, copy. Um, I love it. I love this book. It is very, com- so listeners, to me, it's a very comprehensive book that has the right amount of fun information and one of the fun information is the legend of the nun farts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. that. You know, and educational information. Now, also, to, I want to start part of this interview with a quote that appeared at the end of the book. And quote, um, it is by no means a definite or flawless global history. Rather, it's more like dipping your toes into dessert history. I love this quote because it's letting the readers know that, you know, um, that if they're interested in some information that's in, that, that was presented in the book, it's if, and if it piques their interest, it's for them to, you know, check it out. Or, um, or a, a, as you mentioned, or the, one of the closing lines of the book was, stay curious. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I, I really did. Like, it's kind of, I don't want anybody to think I'm a historian, like I'm definitely a comic artist. So yeah. that's part of why I wanted to clarify, but it's also the kind of thing where it's like, I want to encourage that curiosity. And that's part of why I like the Sprite Boy saying, stay curious. Yeah. No, but like I said, it's great. It really is. So, okay. Thank you so much. No, no problem. Okay. So um, now where did you get the idea of doing this book? So the idea actually came from around the time that I was wanting to start work on graphic novels, Gina Gagliano at Random House Graphics, she's the one who started the imprint. She reached out to me and was like, hey, I'd love for you to pitch a book. But I had like so many ideas. I didn't know which one to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, my agent at the time, Stephen Southpeter, is pretty friendly with Gina. So they were in the, both in New York at the time. And they actually went, I believe, I've told the story many times, so I hope it's true, but I'm pretty sure they went to, like, have an ice cream hang uh-huh. and, like, talk about, like, me and, like, possibilities for Random House and, like, what yes. Gina saw at the imprint. And Gina was like, I really want a book about food history. And I think she, she named, like, pizza and ice cream and a uh-huh. couple other things as things she wanted. Stephen was like, okay, that's perfect. Like, I know Victoria would love this came back to me and I was like okay dessert history like I I sort of like transformed it took the ice cream idea and like ran with that Mm -hmm. so that's pretty much the origin for the book like from there it was a matter of like developing the sprites like how was I going to narrate it and I eventually ended up with the sprites and like what was I going to talk about I sort of Mm. chose my favorite food Mm -hmm. and just went from there yeah so I'm going to so off the cuff question because I, I I know what the sprites are. May I ask, can you explain to the listeners what are the sprites and actually who are the sprites in the book? Oh yeah, totally. So there's three sprites. There's Perry, Fee, and Fada. Mm-hmm. They each sort of have a different specialty, but they are the tiny narrators who are the size of the food itself. 
uh, they sort of just like love going on these deep dives in history and learning about it. So Perry is the main narrator. She loves the legend. She has her little conspiracy board for all the research she's done. And mm-hmm. she's trying to figure out all these different things. But she'll also sit the other sprites down for a little legend of time, which is where she goes through these different myths and legends of certain particular desserts that kind of have like those fun, like, oh, somebody forgot this ingredient, thus brownies were invented. That might not necessarily be true, but are really fun uh, stories that we tell about history. Mm -hmm. So she kind of teaches you how to think about those kinds of stories as well as telling you those stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fada's specialty is the science. So Mm -hmm. he loves all those science labs and learning about the different techniques, like the salt ice technique that you use to freeze cream. And then Fee loves sort of the, the human element to the history. So she'll do her research on the various people that may be involved in certain things, and she will embody them and play that character in an interview corner with Perry. Uh, so together they all form these different sections of the book and they guide you through different aspects of the history. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just gonna ask, um, Perry, Fee, and Fada, are, are they based off of um, any of your friends or relatives in real life? So that's a great question. I, there's parts of Fada, I've definitely known people who are like, well, I'm logic minded. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in any of this, you know, because Fada is the one who has the most skepticism towards a lot of the uh, story times that Harry yes. leads. And so, yeah, like, I, I've definitely known people like that who are, like, very practical-minded, but maybe, like, have a harder time grasping, like, uh, facts versus fiction or, like, sort of embracing things mm-hmm. that are a little bit more fanciful. So that's kind of where it, it, it's more like I, I pulled all of those parts from people I knew and put that in him. Uh-huh. And for Fee, I've, I've known a lot of people who are very, like, shy and sweet but have this other side of them you know like they might be a little bit nervous to like get in front of people but they have this other side of them that's really like gregarious that they maybe still need to discover or that comes out in unexpected ways and that's a lot of where Fee's personality came from is like that aspect of some of my friends Mm -hmm. so it's not one person in particular but kind of like pulling those so I'm sorry so I'm adding this on sorry um um, Victoria so but I, I know what you're talking about because Fee is kind of funny it's like oh well I don't know and then all of a sudden the interview time and she just kind of goes to town with it you yeah. know I yeah, love exactly. it it's, you know and, and listeners throughout the book you guys have when you read the book it, it, it's pretty funny it really is and I love um, Fada skepticism because there's there's points in the book where when they do the storytelling you see Fada starts making a side comment you know <laughs> it's like yeah 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 and you know it's it's great it really is it, it's and it's very fun it really is now I'm going to ask you a very serious question are you a baker and are you the baker in your family <laughs> so I'm not like the only baker. My mom does a lot of baking and cooking as well. But I think just by sheer force of will, I kind of have embodied the like dessert queen uh, vibe in my family. So yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that yeah. And then, um, if you don't mind me asking, you know, what is your signature dessert? You know, what is something Ooh, that? A... I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I'm like that's a good question. It's it's kind of hard. So I feel like I'm I'm the most confident in like drop cookies and stuff like the snickerdoodles, which there's a recipe for in the book, but also one of my favorites mm-hmm. is oatmeal scotchies. They, they have like butterscotch chips and oatmeal in them. It's like 
it's like oatmeal raisin cookies, except it's with butterscotch chips instead of raisins, which I really, really love. Those are kind of my like main dessert that I make a lot of the time. I've also started baking the pumpkin pies for our Thanksgiving celebrations. Right. So right. that's like my new thing that I'm doing. Oh my, I have to tell my wife to add butterscotch um, chips um, into her oatmeal cookies. Oh my God. They're so good. good. They're so good. <sighs> okay. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just trying to continue on, but I'm still thinking about that oatmeal butterscotch cookie. Thank you. But okay. All right. Um, I know the book came out. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. It came out on November 30th. Um, what kind of response or reviews have you gotten um, on the book? It's honestly been so kind. Like everybody's been really, really sweet and receptive about the book. I think a lot of people have caught on to things that I was, I was so nervous upon the release because I was like worried that I wasn't going to represent things well or, you know, just anything like that. And so far, everybody has sort of understood what I'm going for and it really resonates with them. I think the thing that has meant the most to me is when uh, people have reached out about particular desserts I've mentioned that are really meaningful to them. Like one of my college friends reached out to me and she was like, Oh, you had a story time about buko pie. Like that's one of my favorites. And like she, she and her family had gone to like Los Banos and had it there. And it, that meant a lot to me. Like I was really happy that I was able to capture something like that and like remind something of uh, something they did with their family in a loving way. That was, yeah, so those those responses in particular have been really special. That is really good. That's really nice. And I'm going to touch upon that a little, probably in a little bit, either a little bit in, in a few minutes or probably towards the end of um, this section of the interview. So um, now, how long did it take you to do the research and write this awesome book? It really, the the research didn't take too too long I was able to fortunately set aside like a whole month mm -hmm. and because I was used to writing a lot of uh essays and stuff like that in college mm -hmm. it actually was like I, I got to just set aside an entire month to like going to the local library and like mm -hmm. doing research online and I just had like this notebook that I just kept intense notes in and it was after that that I sort of was able to figure out okay where do I want to go you know like I'd have yes. to do supplementary research as I was going because I'd be like trying to do the outline at the same time as doing the research and figure out, okay, what's the structure of this book going to be? What are the chapters? And then from there, sort of picking out the desserts that would work well mm -hmm. with the narrative that I was building. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was actually only a month. Oh, okay. And then I mean, to uh, write it, I should say to write it, it would yes. be a lot longer because I write and I, I draw at the same time. So the sketching uh -huh. process, I think it took about like three or four months. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for adding the drawing part on. I um, thank you very much. Yes. Then um, I gotta. How did you narrow down some of the historical information surrounding certain dessert origins? And you know, for listeners like for me, I I just can see myself going off in tangents. And if I wrote a book like this, it would just go. I would just go wild. But how did you narrow? Things? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's definitely like a little difficult. I think dividing it by dessert was like kind of the easiest way to do that as I needed to. I mean, it was guided a lot by also the research I was doing. So uh, in my bibliography, I referenced uh, several books and things like that. So like Michael Crondall's books, he did two books that I referenced. 
Uh, I believe they were like Sweet Invention. And I think one was just called like The Donut. I can't remember, but he did a book that had a lot of donuts in it as well. So I used those. And then Elizabeth David did one called A Harvest of the Cold Months. And that was great for the ice cream book. And it's like they had done so, 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 so much research Mm -hmm. that I was able to sort of like use that as kind of a guide and then supplement it, you know, because like both of those books, uh, all the books that I mentioned are really, really good, but they did kind of focus, I think, a little bit more on like just the European origins. And I did want to kind of expand it outside of that. So I would have to supplement uh, my research with sort of just like really surface level knowledge about a lot of other desserts that sort of fit within those legacies. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of how I structured everything as I had this idea that like, okay, I want to go through these origins, but I want to go further back in the origins and maybe talk about where certain ingredients came from Mm -hmm. and then talk about the legacies and places outside of like either the Western hemisphere or at least like, you know, Northern Central Europe and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and for listeners, you know, again, um, um, you know, Victoria, now correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember. I think, was it, is it for all your chapters that you would have like a map, like for example, ice cream, you mm. have a map of, you know, this is, you know, like it, you know, parts, you know, like, uh, like um, ice cream, not only parts of Europe, but also I think like they would do certain type of some form of ice cream in the Middle East correct or something like that you yeah yeah like like historical place a map of historical places that was well documented yeah, I, mm-hmm. for each of the chapters I did try to do like a pretty thorough map and I think it's also a good way of showing like it's it is not limited to these places because I think a lot of these desserts are found all over the world but I think it's a good way of like visually being like yes these are the places where it's located and so it also gave me a good map where it's both like okay am I only representing Europe or am I going outside of Europe Mm -hmm. Uh, and it still sort of shows like where the uh, like where the history skews so I think it's a good way of also showing like maybe what I'm not talking about in a way that's like well there are definitely these desserts in these other places as well. Yes. So it's just sort of, you know, uh, acknowledging the scope of research. And I think, and, and um, again, it kind of, it, it gives a, well, to me, I'm like, I'm kind of going off the cuff here and I'm just, I'm saying that it's really nice to, to know that it, that, that some, that pretty much, you know, for some desserts, the origins were, beyond the Western hemisphere, beyond, you know, it, it started off either in Egypt or in Southeast, or it, there could be parts of it in Southeast Asia. And that's, and that, that, that's what I really enjoyed about this book. You know, it, it was really great. Yeah. So, um, thank you. I'm so glad. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, were there any surprises while you did the research? Yeah, I think there there were quite a few for me because this was also like me kind of doing research that I wanted to do as well. So one of the most fun things that, to find out, like, so for example, the Elizabeth David book, um, Harvest of the Cold Months, I think she probably referenced it. And I, I think I found this in other encyclopedias, but a lot of people were like, oh yeah, um, the tradition of using syrup and ice mm-hmm. came from the Middle East. But it was like, they would just say, oh, yes, it came from here. And then they move on with ice cream, like the future of ice cream. And I was like, wait, 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 why, like, where'd they figure that out? You yeah. Know, like, they get ice. 
it's like how they and so I'd have to like dig even further back and be like okay so let's let's Sharba and like how was that invented and then like where did those histories for the syrup come from yeah so figuring out like I don't think I'd ever learned about the Islamic golden age before this like uh-huh. learning about that was really really cool and all the different philosophers and what kind of like scientific experiments they were doing was really awesome and then also just like the ice houses and how people kept ice and like harvested ice before we had any kind of electricity yes and 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 we're talking about centuries not just oh you know we're not talking like colonial america times i mean we're talking like centuries ago it's like wow yeah it's really cool people have always like wanted sweet foods or like nice delights so i feel like people have always been clever on figuring out how to get them Mm -hmm. and then it now you know because um one of the things um i'm going to mention uh you know i'm going to mention is that this book has so many layers and quote and i'm quote unquote no pun intended i'm not referring to cakes (laughs) (laughs) because this book has that's the thing i love about this book it has so many layers and um, one of the layers that you mentioned that, you know, it showed that people wanted to have some type of sweet treats. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but some, it sounds like some of the, the early origins of some of these desserts, it, was, it seemed like there was a, it was almost a social status thing where whoever could afford the ingredients were the ones that could have these um, sweet treats. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that was, I mean, especially if you're thinking of the European origin, like sugar was not super common. And so you'd have to import sugar and you'd have to import stuff like cinnamon and things like that, that were not, they were like super rare. So even before it was like, you know, the labor of all of it factored in, you already had rare ingredients factoring in. So yeah, and then add to that the fact that like, you know, you'd have to beat cake batter for an hour or you have to find ways to freeze cream. Like, then you definitely aren't doing it yourself. You're hiring someone else to do it, which means that the people who had access to it were only the wealthy. Yeah. And I going back to, you know, like beating, you know, trying to make a cake and that hour thing is now, correct me for the cake. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm kind of going off memory here. Was that when they made cakes, they had to use eight to 12 eggs yeah it was eat it for an hour (laughs) (laughs) and this is without no this isn't without a a kitchen aid or this is all by hand (laughs) yeah no it really makes you appreciate like all of the different ways people have come up with to make baking so much easier because it's I'm not sure if it was like the size of the cake but there were definitely recipes that I found and that like were referenced in the books I was reading where it was like yeah it took eight to twelve eggs and a cake and you would have to beat it for an hour. And it's like, I have tried to beat things by hand, yeah. like in my earlier days without yeah. using uh, any electric technology. And it's not fun. It's miserable. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing, and, and also too, like you said, it, it, it's time consuming too, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, was, I was also going to point out, so that's one of the things I was like, I was a little surprised about that. Um, One of the layers of this book that I, that I, that I noticed was, you know, um, is um, economics as well that like, for example, one of the things like regarding the ice cream um, chapter that in the mid 1800s, 
you know, some Italians who were displaced by war during that time sold penny licks. And basically, and it's all, and, and, and in almost every chapter, it seemed like um, um, desserts were used um, when they, um, desserts were sold to basically make a living, to kind of sort of make ends yeah. meet. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different ones. I mean, I feel like a lot of the, the celebratory donuts, too, uh, like the Jalebi, Zalabia, Mm-hmm. Um, that one I think is sold by a lot of street vendors. Like there's a lot that are just like, yeah, street vendors made this and they made this. Through. I mean, even the legend of the macaron sisters and the macaron chapter is sort of, that's the way the story goes is that they didn't know, they didn't have a place to live. So they needed to sell macarons to make a living. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say I, it, it's something, something you just brought up, you know, I just thought when you talked about street vendors, you know, selling, you know, the desserts on the street it's kind of sort of almost like our food, sort of like our food trucks nowadays or our ice cream trucks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He didn't think about that. And okay, a sidetrack here, and we will probably talk about this a little bit more later, but if you, Victoria, if you're ever in Hawaii, there is a a Leonard's Malasadas truck that sells Malasadas. They have- I absolutely have to find it. I've never tried Malasadas before. So I was like, when you, when you said you'd had some, I was like, oh, I need to know. I need to know what these taste like. <laughs> so, and then that's a perfect segue because it goes also to the other layer that um, that the book covers is also, um, there's like a, li- there's not, you know, there's also another layer in the book covers is a religious theme, is that malasadas are Portuguese donuts. And for listeners, um, and I'm, I'm going to say, I'm not sure if it's more, I don't know if they all sell it in New Orleans. I could be wrong. But I know these malasadas are these light, fluffy, deep fried dough things that are covered in sugar. And, you know, it's, they are always eaten on Fat Tuesday before Ash, um, Ash Wednesday, the start of Lent. So, you know, so that, that was, and I'm so happy that you mentioned malasadas. You know, it was. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And then also, too, the other thing I loved about the book, too, it also covered a little bit about, um, about um, kind of like a, more of a, of, um, a medical, uh, medical thing. And for listeners, what I mean by that is that in the book, it mentioned around 1843, Alfred Bird, now, Victoria, correct me if I'm wrong, he was a chemist. He invented baking powder because his wife was allergic to yeast and egg. I thought that was fascinating, you know. Yeah, and it's just a a way to rise cakes without having to use those ingredients that are necessary. Yeah, there were a lot of like figures who like, they were just factoring in because of science, especially in that era too, and the like late 18, or like mid to late 1800s into the 1900s. There was a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, before I continue on my questions, I'm I'm just going to ask off the question. Is there anything else you want to add to what I've talked about, or if you you know anything that stuck out for you that I may have missed? Um, I feel like you've got a lot covered. I mean, yeah, it was it was very important to me that I covered a lot of the different aspects, like you've mentioned, from the like economic to religious to like political different aspects of the book because yeah it's, it's, I think we kind of take for granted how much all of those interlocking things affect uh, what we actually eat and how we eat it and where it comes from and how we get it and that kind yeah. of thing yeah. so yeah you know because it 
that that was the other thing I was thinking about too is that you know again just by simply ice cream we just can go to our store and just grab it from their freezer pay for it and come home or you know whereas like centuries ago just them doing one of those little ice house things and you have a diagram of how they kept the ice cold it was like Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I was like searching furiously for something like that too because I was like, wait, but how does it work? Like, this is an education book. I need to include this. Yeah. So, but yeah. Okay. Um, I'm there's now there's a section in the book, and I'm curious how is gummies now that is a chapter in the book. Um, that is a chapter mm-hmm. in the book. How is gummies a dessert? I was. I think I kind of like the logic there was I was just folding in like candy into the the labeled dessert, right? Like I, I also had somebody else ask me about donuts and they were like, I'm going to consider donut a breakfast, not really a dessert. And I'm like, well, it's sweet. Like, I think that was kind of my logic because it's like, well, if it's something you'd eat after dinner as a treat, like I think that counts. Yeah, no, that, but that's true too. And, um, and you know, for like me and my family, you know, once in a while when we have a get together after dinner, we have, sometimes we have pastries, you know? Yeah. So, uh, okay. All right. Now, um, now there are risks. I've seen the recipes in the book and they're great. Now, was there a conscious decision to have Perry, Fee and Fada show, um, show the readers how to make the desserts? Yeah, absolutely. That's like, so coming from Balderdash, which was the webcomic I did before this, uh, I had recipes at the end of the chapters there, and they didn't always have something to do with the the chapter before. It was just sort of like a fun bonus. Mm -hmm. But right, like so much of the actual book itself, too, was like, I just loved showing how to make the food she was making mm-hmm. as I was like the, the witch character um Georgie in Balderdash mm-hmm. so it was like you know it was a natural extension of like wanting to show her making food to wanting to show her like make those recipes at the end of the chapters and then like it was kind of a fun reference for me to my previous work making the sprites make the desserts and it was also like that kind of fun uh, aspect of using a really tiny character and trying to get them to do something that a larger person would normally do and how that's you know inherently cute so yeah I wanted to show the three little sprites doing the same sort of process that I was already used to drawing but in a little bit more fanciful way oh that's that's pretty cool now this part here I know and I'm going to be honest I and I and you already saw it but I know this is a leading question and it kind of sort of ties in about how you, you know, your mom was a baker and then you became like the baker too. You know, were you hoping that, and and also to just showing how the desserts are made, were you hoping that this book may strengthen the bonds between children and their loved ones, whether it's a parent, relative, or grandparents? Yeah, I think there was an element, like I remember really, loving the idea of and I think it's already happened like with some people who've gotten advanced copies of uh, people making the actual recipes in the book with their kids like their kids being like oh I want to try to make this 
and then learning how to make it together. I really did want to do that. And I, I think a lot of the book too is also focusing on the celebration of desserts and what they mean to people and how they're so special. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I think it just sort of naturally came from like, I want this book more first and foremost to be a celebration mm-hmm. of food and desserts and our love of those things and making those things. So yeah, I think that's definitely a key aspect of it is the idea of kids and their loved ones making food together. It's pretty cool. It really is. It's re- that's really nice. So yeah. Okay. Um, I'm joking on this part, you know, because I know, like you said, that you wanted this book to be a celebration of desserts. Now, did you ask Random House to send you to some countries or states to do research on these desserts, such as, hey, can I get a plane ticket to Hawaii to know what a malasada tastes like? <laughs> I wish, I wish. No, it's like the, so Michael Crondall, who I mentioned earlier, it was very clear in his book, uh, Sweet Invention, that he had had the money or like whatever to go to all these different places to try these desserts and like talk to experts. But I just like, yeah, A, didn't have the time because the timelines for graphic novels are pretty tight. Mm -hmm. But it was also just like, I don't think that's necessarily accounted for in budgets is like intense research like that. But God, I wish if I had been able to, it would have been so fun to talk to like different bakers and eat the baked goods. Like it would have been so fun. Okay. Now this is off the cuff question. It's a fun question. If random house said, okay, we'll give you the time. We'll give you um, a round trip ticket to wherever you want to go to research one dessert. Where would you go? Oh, wow. That is a tough question. I feel like I would want to go because I feel like a lot of the places where the legacies of these desserts have ended up have Mm -hmm. been in like, uh, like the Philippines or in Japan or in South Korea. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would love to, I mean, if possible, I would love to do a tour of like sp- Pacific islands and like peninsulas, because I feel like that would be a lot of things that I've never had and never had access to here. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I feel like a lot of like heritage European things I've gotten just fine, you know, and often, yeah. but like the other things, not necessarily. And those, I, even just ones that I mentioned in the book, I've never tried. Mm-hmm. So I would love to try just already things I've researched. Oh, um, one, I, I, I know what I wanted to mention too, is that what is so cool about your book is that you mentioned a couple places, um, like for example, the, um, the Hashimoto's, their story about how they created the uh, mochi ice cream. I thought that was pretty cool that you mentioned that um, their store, um, oh shoot, I don't have their name. I can't. Um, uh, Mikawaya. Yes, that, you know, that there's, um, when you're writing the book that their store was still in Los Angeles. Now, mm-hmm. let, now, now I'm going to say, because I, I, because I want this, because I just want to see first, you know, check it out. You know, so I went, so I did a little bit of research. Unfortunately, listeners, unfortunately, they closed their shop down um, in June of this year. And I'm not sure if it was, if it may have been due to the pandemic, but, but I, you know, that was so cool that you mentioned, like there's some places that are still open, like, um, the one in the Philippines, the correct me if I'm wrong, was it a pie shop? Yeah, I believe it's called the Orient. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about the Buko Pie Shop. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I that believe is, they're still open. They yeah. are. 
they Yay, yeah. Good. yeah and then also too i think and also you mentioned another and i correct me if i'm wrong was it some type of a a bakery shop in italy that's open it like i it was like you know the the baker was like you know he was like around in the 1800s but his his bakery is still around today it is oh I wow I, I that's great I can't remember. Sorry. I, mm-hmm. Are you thinking of the the locums? The I, yeah, no. I don't. I unfortunately I'm not sure. But yeah, a lot of the I think a lot of the people I reference in and Legends of the Story Times, like there's uh, one of them still. Like I know Adam's Extract even like I, the the one about red velvet cake. Like Adam's Extract is yes. still open. Like I buy their extracts all the time. Ah, okay. okay. Like that's a little less of like a homey shop, but yeah. Oh, yeah. No, but it's pretty cool that it's, um, you know, even, you know, it's kind of, it, it's pretty nice to know that, um, um, that, you know, when your books mentioned that some of these, um, these shops are still around because, you know, it, it gives, um, because I thought that was pretty cool because then it kind of shows that this place is, you know, is real that, you know, the, the history that you gave about the, um, the pie shop in the Philippines that, you know, how they, you know, how they expanded their business and grew their business, the shop is still there today. So if ever, if I'm ever in the Philippines, hey, I remember there was that famous pie shop and then I can go there. But yeah, I just yeah. think it's pretty cool. Okay, so one more question. Um, um, and I'm joking again. So did Random House at least give you some money to buy desserts? <laughs> you know- you know, if you count the advance for the book, yes. Like, I did buy a lot of desserts with the money they did give me. So I feel like that's a yes. <laughs> All right. Now, before I wrap this section up, um, are, you, are you working on another book? And what is it called? And what is it about? So I'm, right now, I'm actually finishing up the second in the series of Yummy Books. So there is going to be a second Yummy Book. Um, this one's called Yummy, A History of Tasty Experiments, and it focuses on some of the desserts that, like, I couldn't quite get to, so stuff like, so, I mean, it's not necessarily a dessert, but it's a sweet sodas. Um, I was able to also expand gelatin into its own chapter in this book, yes, yes. and uh, there's a lot more savory foods in this, too, so, like, Gina, one of the first ideas she had was pizza, so there's a chapter on pizza, oh and then just stuff that I was really curious about, so there's a chapter on cheese, there's a chapter on pickles, mm-hmm. and my favorite chapter has been the chapter on easy food, which is sort of like, if, if this book, this first dessert book, focuses a lot on like the stuff that happened, you know, the ways in which it was so much harder to get food. The easy food chapter sort of focuses on why now it's so easy to get everything. Like if it's about, I don't know if I said that right. If it was hard to get food before, now it's easy. So why did that happen? What processes happened? And like, why are we so used to getting box food, frozen food, food in bags, stuff like that? Yeah, no, um, I'm, no, but that, no, that's, that's, I, that's pretty cool because it's, um, because I'm just thinking about it offhand is that, um, actually, I think I'll save that for the next, next time, if you don't mind coming back, I'll hold <laughs> yeah, that question to that one. Okay. All right. So, um, but no, thank you very much. Oh, and when is that book going to come out? The second so that's coming out. I don't know the time yet, but I know it's coming out in the year 2023. 
Oh, okay. All right. And, and I'm just going to ask, so you said it's, a, it's the second book. It, do you guys have, how many volumes do you guys have lined up? If you don't mind me asking. It's, it's just going to be two, I think. Cause I'm like, I sort of answered all my questions uh, from the second book. So I'm like, okay, I'm good. I know how to make cheese. I know how to make ice cream. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm slowly wrapping this up and we are going to do final questions and you know, I'm going to say, Victoria, just go for it. So now, correct now, um, now I, so in, in Austin, right? That that's where you currently live. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Okay. Where is the best place to get ice cream? I really love Amy's ice cream. So I'm going to go with Amy's. Okay. What's your flavor, favorite flavor from there? Oh, that's so hard. They have like, a lot of specialty flavors so I feel like those are my favorite it's hard because it changes but they'll have like movie reference names and it'll be like fudge with sprinkles and like something you know like two different kinds of ice cream or something in a little bowl yeah. so it's yeah I feel like I'm I would be craving that right now okay all right um best place to get cake Oh, this is really hard. Um, you know, it's not local, but I really love the cakes at Tout Le Jour. That's probably my favorite kind of cake because I really like uh, really light uh, fruit cakes with uh, like whipped cream icing. Oh. So that's where I would get those. Yeah. And then where's the best place to get pie? There is a little shop called Tiny Pies here, and they, like, I just, I've never tried them before. I just tried them for the first time, and they are incredible. Like, I've heard a lot of recommendations. That's the best place. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, what is your favorite dessert to eat while you watch your favorite soap opera? I love this so much. Um, okay, I definitely know this. So our local grocery store, H-E-B, makes these really, really good local ice creams as well. Um, they're ones that you get in our grocery stores, stores though. Uh, I'm going to do it tonight. I'm going to be watching my favorite soap opera, and I'm going to probably eat the flavor of, it's called Cookie Lovers, and it's got like a fudge swirl. It's got cookie dough. It's got chocolate chips. And it's got brownie bits in it. And it's like vanilla and chocolate ice cream. It's so good. That's what I'm going to be eating tonight while I watch one of my favorite soap operas. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, they're really good. All right. Now, um, in all your travels, what was the best dessert you ever had? Whether it's a country or state. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is also really, really hard. So I think it's kind of a tie between two. And it's not even that they're necessarily like the best as much as they're my favorite and I have yeah. really fond memories. So yeah. um, in Toronto, I've gone to TCAST and I had someone there recommend me to go to, I believe the bakery is called Nadej to get their macarons. And I think that was the first time I maybe ever had macarons. Mm -hmm. And so I love their macarons I always every time we've been in Toronto which I used to go like religiously every year to TCAF mm -hmm. and I try to get those there uh the other one actually was when I was really young my dad would go to these 
conventions for his job and sometimes they would find good places to go for them and that would become an excuse to like take the family on vacation mm-hmm. uh we went to hawaii oh. and i had creme brulee a nice restaurant i do not know what it was but i think that was also one of my first times having creme brulee and i loved it it was so good oh okay all right so since you already mentioned that so wait a minute so correct me if i'm wrong so your dad had whenever he went to conventions the conventions were in hawaii well so what it was is it was um so my dad works in psychology and like Mm -hmm. uh rehabilitation psych and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so he used to always go to the apa i believe conventions and when i was young i remember there was one in san francisco and i remember there was one in honolulu so it was sort of became an excuse because my dad could get like you know he it was essentially a tax write-off like he could get good deals because they would pay for the hotel or whatever because it was like a professional development thing Uh Uh, we would use those as family vacations during the summer so I just remember, yeah, like that was that was the one time I was able to go to Hawaii and we spent like I think a week there. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how long, but it was awesome. It was really beautiful. Wow. I'm, okay, so now and then um okay, so you uh, I'm just going to um now I'm I'm just asking and correct me if I'm wrong. So it was that, that was the only time you've been to Hawaii or have you come back? No, that was the only time I haven't been able to come back at all. Oh, okay. Wow. That that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> All right. So, um, one couple more questions. Um, what was your favorite convention moment, either as a fan or as a creator? Like so a going back to mm-hmm. yeah yeah so going back to TCAF, um, I do remember this one time in particular. So this is back when I used to exhibit for Balderdash. But I remember one time I was in kind of like a weird area of the library where TCAF is held. Mm-hmm. And I saw these two, like, they might have been teens, might have been 20s, uh, young girls, like, walking through the convention. And, and they were, they looked like they were looking for someone. I don't know, like, I didn't know at the time who it was. And as I'm watching them walk by, like, obviously looking for somebody tabling, I was like, those, those girls would like Balderdash, like, wish they'd stop by my booth because they really enjoy this comic and I'm like minding my business doing my own thing they circle back around and they come up to me mm-hmm. and one of the girls hands me a drawing she did of my main character or one of the two main characters in Balderdash Georgie dressed as like a sailor scout and just like I was like oh okay so you did you did like Balderdash like it was so funny because it was just like as I saw them walk by I was like they would like Balderdash and then they, I was actually the person they were looking for and it was very sweet oh that is pretty cool that's really nice that's really cool um do you have any closing words um to our listeners um, I would say if you love desserts, please go out and buy Yummy a History of Desserts. It's very fun. It's funny. It's charming. The characters really love learning about history. I tried to make it as not dry as possible, just like any good dessert other than a really good cookie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I recommend uh, reading the book, especially if you like baking or any kind of dessert. I think you'll like it. So um, Victoria, thank you very much. Um, like I said, Victoria, I'm, I'm going to repeat this again. You know, I love the book. I, I know it's called a graphic novel. I keep mentioning it as a book, but 
I love it. It's very fun. It's very informative. Um, I love the, I love the characters. Um, you know, I like, um, you know, Perry, Fee, and Fada. I love their interactions um, throughout the book, especially during the story time. That's pretty funny. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. No, thank, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. And Victoria, you know, I want to wish you all the success with Yummy, A History of Desserts, and Mahalo. Thank you in Hawaiian. Thank you for your time. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to interview. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Um, and then Victoria and to our listeners, you know, um, you know, please, you know, let me indulge for a minute. Um, I really want to thank Hannah of Superfan Promotions for arranging um, this interview. Um, actually, you know, um, you know, Hannah has been very helpful um, in this past year. When I started these Zoom interviews back in January um, of 2021, Hannah, you know, Start, you know, Hannah started to send um, us Comics for Fun and Profit press releases that included um, that included a, the works and you know, and if a creator was available to do interviews, and that was very cool to get. It really was, you know. But for this interview, you know, Hannah, um, you know, especially you know, asked us directly to do this interview, and you know, Hannah, it really meant a lot. So, Hannah, thank you very much. You know, thank you very much for all your hard work and thank you very much for arranging all these interviews. Thank you very much, Hannah. So, yeah, thank you, Hannah. You've been a huge help and I love all the promotions that I've been able to do for Yummy. And then I want to thank Drew, the co host of Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. Um, if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. And, you know, thank you for listening to this episode. And again, one more time, listeners, you know, um, you know, if you are interested, if you are a parent, if you're a grandparent, uh, um, an uncle or an auntie who has, you know, you know, um, young nephews or nieces, I encourage you guys to pick up Yummy, A History of Desserts. It's already out in stores right now. It's, like I said, I enjoyed it. it I, it's a lot of fun. It is. Um, until next time, guys, aloha. Aloha.